Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's guest is JC Dupree. She is a true multi-hyphenate. Not only is she the digital entrepreneur behind Damsel and Dior, she is also the author of a best-selling book, Liking Myself Back, and the founder and creative director of the new fashion brand, Wyeth. Plus, she's an investor. She's been a longtime colleague of mine since my days working in fashion, and I've admired the way she's gone about building her brand while also growing her family. Today, we dove into some really fascinating topics, including secondary infertility, surrogacy, her challenges with endometriosis, and her decision to pursue a hysterectomy. I am so grateful for her candor and her honesty, and I really hope you enjoy our chat. JC, thank you so much for being on the pod today. I have long admired you, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share your story today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And likewise, the feeling is very mutual. It's been so neat to watch one another's careers develop, Mm -hmm. you know, back from my click days and you were starting to build your brand and your empire. Mm -hmm. And here we are, moms of two. (laughs) Yes. Working moms of two. Working moms. Yes. So you have two little ones. Tell us ages, names, I have a three and a half year old daughter named June and a three month old son named Hugh. Oh, first of all, <laughs> great names. And second of all, Thanks. you are you are in it. <laughs> We're in the thick of it, that's you for sure. The thick of the the thick of the storm for sure. Uh-huh. Well, I always like to start these conversations in the same place. And the question is, did you always know that you wanted to become a mom? Absolutely not, actually. I, I think I once wrote a blog post about how, why I'm afraid to have kids. And it, it really just kind of goes through all the fears that I had surrounding that subject. And so honestly, even well into my marriage, it was, it was gosh, we were eight years in before we could seriously started to consider yeah. having a family, starting a family. What was your fear? At that point in my life, I had yet to resolve a bunch of like inner traumas that I was still carrying around from my old childhood. I was raised by two incredible parents. They did such a wonderful job raising us. However, my dad sadly slipped into alcoholism um, when I was in junior high and high school and through college as well. And I write a lot about this in a book I just published yeah. called like, called Like Myself Back. Plug. It's a I- great <laughs> book, by the way. So I highly you. recommend everyone oh, take a you. minute to read it. It's all about your journey you. with mental health and yeah. coming into your own. It's tremendous. So it was kind of through that journey that I landed on truly liking myself back, thus the title. And really just kind of going through all of that junk that was a part of my past that I was holding on to. I think I was just scared. There were multiple reasons why, you know, repeating past mistakes and and screwing it all up, I guess. I think the biggest thing that I was selfishly holding on to was my life. You know, I was like, if I have kids, if I have a baby, I'm going to have to give up a big chunk of what my selfishness is, you know, what the things that make me happy. I love traveling and I love my work mm-hmm. and I know myself and anything that I am in love with or sign up to do, I give it a hundred percent. So I knew, of course, if I have a child, 
you know, I'm going to fall in love with that child and I'm going to want to pour more of myself into that than I am into my work. And I do, it's the truth, which I'm very, very, very happy about. But that was kind of it. I was like, well, if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to do all this other stuff that makes me so happy. And so it felt, I was just very conflicted. Um, It's hard to reconcile the magnitude, you mm -hmm. know, and I think it's so fair and wonderful that you're sharing that because I think that's something that we often don't share openly that, yeah, because it's selfish. It's selfish, <laughs> like, but it's I'm the reality. But it, it, people are selfish, you know? It is what it is. And we all are. And that's and there's also this mourning of this life that we've worked so hard to create and the risk of mm -hmm. losing it and the timing. You know, we constantly come up through our lives thinking, oh, you know, when this happens, then I'll do this. Or when I have this, I'll do this. And it's also relinquishing that control. So how did you reconcile that, you know, how did you get to a place where you were open to exploring the idea of, of beginning a family? Well, my husband and I, Grant, we went through a trial separation about halfway through my book <laughs> and, yeah. uh, wow. and halfway through our marriage at this point. Because it was just, you know, it was like first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes JC's career as a fashion blogger. And we, it, it was kind of pulling us apart from one another. And there wasn't really something that was like right front and center that kept us together other than like our dogs and the love that we had for each other. But we just weren't connected. We had no like projects that we were really focused on like as a team. We just like something was missing, to be honest. And I, and I always blamed it on other things. I just like never knew that deep, deep, deep down, I really did want children. I really did want that, that life with the white picket fence and the children playing in the front yard. Like that's what was, I was really yearning for, but instead I redirected that, you know, all those fears and it's just like, I'm just going to run away. Like, I'm just going to completely avoid all of this like conflict, this inner struggle that I'm facing. And so when we separated, we both went through an immense amount of therapy and it was honestly through all of my therapy sessions where I started meditative practice. I started doing yoga. I did a lot of EMDR and I really went back and just peeled back all the layers. And it's kind of funny. Grant and I decided to get back together. I'm giving you like the very short version of the story, but we decided to focus on our relationship and choose us first. We saw a couple's therapist that was like, you need to actively choose your partner every day as number one. Like this is, has to be like your number one priority if you want this relationship to work. So we booked a plane, we booked a flight to Hawaii to like reconnect. And we were on the flight and the flight hit this like crazy moment of turbulence. And I, I fly a lot. I've never experienced anything like this. It felt like a near death experience. Oh my God. And I kid you not, it was in that moment where I was like, I, we're going to die. It was crazy. Like it was insane. The whole plane was like screaming and I, the plane felt like it dropped like wow. I have 50 feet, you know, it was like, boom. Like it was, it was very, 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 very scary. Obviously very traumatizing because it led me to, oh my gosh, I'm about to die and I haven't done everything I want to do in life. And one of those things was to have kids. It was just like one of those gut check. Someone just slaps you in the face and says, you have a year to live. What do you want to do? And mine was, I want to have kids. Think about the confluence of things that came together, though, to get you there. I mean, this, yeah. you know, this period of deep introspection and personal work. And by the way, I've done EMDR therapy, and it is tremendous and so incredibly helpful. So I, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that. But additionally, the practice of working through this with someone else and then a near-death experience to really yeah. wake you up and say, hey, 
this is what you really want and need in life. What a serendipitous route, though, to, to parenthood and how many things had to happen. There's just the storybook of my entire life is very much played out that way, just so serendipitously, for lack of a better word. And it's it's always been just such a beautiful thing when you take a moment to sit back and look at all the pieces of puzzle that came together in those moments, those like key moments where there's like two branches on a tree and one can go this way and one can go the other. And gosh, am I thankful for that near-death flight because now I've got my two babies. <laughs> yep. Life has an amazing way of teaching mm-hmm. us from our past. You went through quite a journey just to even begin your journey into parenthood with Grant. And you come to this place, it sounds like you were you were open and receptive to starting a family. Um, tell us a little bit about that fertility journey. Was that something that felt like a chore? Was it something that came very naturally to you? Were you afraid? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Fortunately, Grant and I, we felt like we were kind of coming out of this great big storm of our relationship. And I think it was about six to eight months after we reconciled things between us that we were like, let's just see what happens. Let's just wing it and see what happens. And I had downloaded one of those fertility apps. So like I was kind of tracking myself because I'm a psycho, like OCD planner and a girl. And I feel like we all just do that. Even if we say we don't, we still do it. We (laughs) We do. We all do it. (laughs) Um, You can't just like trip and get pregnant these days. No. (laughs) I I was like, well, I was, I was 35 and uh, we just started to kind of, you know, the wing it strategy. Let's pull out all the goalies and see what happens. And I have my app and, and honestly, the day we actually conceived, we were just having fun with it. And luckily, luckily that's how it happened because I, you know, there was still part of me that was a little nervous, like, wow, we're really doing this. And had it been challenging that first time around, I don't know that we would have gone through all of the hoops and ladders that so many women have had to face, unfortunately, with their fertility journey, because I was still uneasy, you know, that that really was a gift from above, that it it was fairly easy for us to get pregnant with June. It took us like four or five months. Yeah. And boom. Great. Great. And how was your pregnancy with June? The beginning was very textbook. And then about halfway through, it started to become very, very, very challenging. I started to struggle immensely physically and mentally, and I didn't know why. And it it honestly was just a, it was just a struggle. And it took me down (laughs) for the count. Towards the end, I could barely walk. I was in so much pain. I was emotionally like on my ledge. I've never been in that place in my life. It was one of the most challenging experiences I've had. Understandably so. I mean, we often see pregnancy in movies and hearing only the good bits from our friends. Oh, I feel great. I have the glow. Can't Uh wait for baby. But there's so much fear and physical discomfort and uncertainty. As your due date was approaching, did any of those fears from earlier on come back? How did you cope with that? My old triggers and ways of coping with things. My coping mechanisms were being very challenged. For example, as a child of an alcoholic, my, one of my big coping mechanisms when I'm feeling triggered is to organize <laughs> and, be, and be perfect and have my outfits be perfect and my closets be perfect. Everything has a place and order and I can control this because I can't control that. And I could not control my pregnancy, but I also could, I could not control anything because I was in so much pain and struggling so much mentally that it was, it just was like a domino effect. And I honestly couldn't even 
think or wrap my mind around the the fears of having a kid or a baby at that point. I was just trying to survive. And I also, during my pregnancy, didn't know that I had endometriosis. I didn't know I also have this other thing called PMDD, which is super heightened if you're pregnant, like it's super heightened. And so I didn't know all those things back then, you know, and I gained 60 pounds during my pregnancy, which is not healthy either, but I just had no control. I had zero control. My body was like in shock. You had a rough go. Mm -hmm. There's so many things I want to talk about and unpack here. So let's first start with how did you learn to let go? I do yoga and we do mindful meditation. And that honestly has been life-changing for me. It's therapy mixed with mindfulness, mixed with the breathing and the moving. And outside of that, to be honest, my daughter, June, she's the only force because she comes from me to be reckoned with that can literally force me into submission where I have to like fully submit and stop and breathe. And I have no choice because she's my whole heart. And she really is the only person in my life that could have made me do, forced me to do that, forced me to submit, just fully submit. It's interesting how our children teach us to surrender to this idea of life on life's terms and all of us control freaks. I'm raising my hand here because I'm a raising control (laughs) freak and I connect with you on so many levels here, but it's the hardest thing to just let yeah. go and accept and go with the flow that we all hate going. Yeah, with. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we talk about PMDD, how did you learn that you had endometriosis? At what point in your journey did you learn and how? I learned um, after June and I think I was misdiagnosed with PCOS during my like 20s and 30s. And I always had some like mild issues, but I'm also the type of person, like if I have a headache, I'm just like, whatever, drink yeah. water. I, I like, I don't take Advil. I don't go to the doctor. I rarely get sick, knock on every piece of wood in this, yeah. <laughs> in this room. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I'm just like, go, go, go. I, I'm a former's daughter. You stub your toe, like you just move on. So I just thought everything I was experiencing was normal. I thought my pregnancy was normal. I thought people gain weight when they get pregnant. I just put my head down and keep going. And so my doctor at the time, who I no longer see, Yeah, it just went clearly misdiagnosed. And it wasn't diagnosed until a year after June was born. It was February 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Grant and I had always like talked about freezing embryos because way back when, when I was scared to have kids, I was like, well, maybe we should freeze, you know, embryos just in case like when I'm older, we might want to have kids. And then what if we can't, like, at least we'll have some by the time I like wrap my head around it. And so we'd always kind of talked about it. And after my pregnancy with June, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to want to do this again. And I don't even know if I want to do this again, but it's going to be a while. So I was like, well, let's, let's just go through with it before I like really start to lean in on my fitness and eating and, you know, all that, getting my body back. Yes. Or I was like, yeah. I'll go ahead and do this whole like egg freezing thing. There was something that just like drew me to it. I had absolutely like swear on my daughter's eyes, zero intention of, or, or even expectation of not being able to carry another baby in the future. I had absolutely no, nothing. I didn't even think we wanted a second. I just was like, I think we should just do this as an insurance plan. And, you know, we live in LA and a lot of people do that. So it was through that process. My fertility doctor, the second she looked at me, it was like, you have endo and adenomyosis, which is Basically, endometriosis is where you have extra cells and cysts and things and extra growth outside of your uterus. 
and typically some in your ovaries. And I'd had ovarian cysts removed in the past. And an adenomyosis is the opposite. It's where you have extra stuff growing within the walls of the uterus. So adeno is very, very hard to diagnose. And typically you won't get a firm diagnosis until you've actually had a surgery go in with laparoscopic and looking around and they can see it. Endo is slightly easier to diagnosed, but it goes very, 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 very misdiagnosed. I mean, if you follow Amy Schumer and you can hear her talking about it, it's like one in 10 women have it and they don't even know. And it, you know, it can be very debilitating and painful and it can also present itself in different ways at different times in a woman's life. Um, and that's why most people don't know that they have it because sometimes it's bad. We call it flare ups in our house. Mm-hmm. Grant okay. and, I. <laughs> and what do you experience when you are feeling some of those symptoms? <laughs> when I have a flare up, Yes. My body inflames greatly. I have a ton of inflammation. I don't fit into any of my clothes at all. I just immediately just poof up like a Michelin man. Like it's just poof. I bleed for about 80 days straight. Wow. Oh my God. And was this happening prior to June? You would have these episodes? No. It was exacerbated after the birth? Yeah, it was crazy. Oh I would, I, we, I remember we were at a wedding and, and I was, you know, having a flare up oh. and it's, it's just so painful. I can't even tell you. I would be, I'm medications and all sorts of things. And I'll, t- I'll get to the, where I actually have been maintaining it now. But back then I'm like, what is going on? Maybe this is just normal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I knew, I knew something was wrong in December, right before I did the, uh, like the IVF, the transfer for the embryos, right before that, I knew something was wrong because we went to this wedding and I've been on my period for like three weeks in a row with no, you know, relief. And I couldn't, I couldn't make it to the church for the wedding. I, Grant and I were late and I was like, I have to sit in the back row because I'm not going to be able to make it because it was just awful. You know, it was so bad. And then I just felt like, I just feel horrible. I mean, emotionally, Wow. Physically, it's like you're living with a chronic issue, you know? And how do you support yourself now when you have a flare-up or what's the maintenance look like? Right now, present day, the maintenance is a lot of medication, a ton of medication. I have three forms of birth control that I take three a day and I have to take them at certain times. So I have an alarm clock that goes off. And if I don't take it within that hour, I'll start bleeding. You're <laughs> so kidding. I'm oh just my God, like you poor thing. Sucking down the birth control. Oh, but oh but what I did, I learned through taking this much birth control that I had PMDD the whole time. I had no idea I even had that. But the specific birth control I'm on treats it. So I was like, I figured it out. This is an insane journey and we're not even close to getting to baby number two. Um, so PMDD is premenstrual depression disorder. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it quite a bit at parallel because it is actually far more common than we all think. And there are yeah. ways that you can manage and support it through supplementation and mm-hmm. prescription support. But as far as the endometriosis and the egg freezing, you also gave birth to June. You were considered a geriatric pregnancy, our least mm-hmm. favorite word ever. But yeah. was that <laughs> also thinking that you had given birth to her, what, you were 36, 37? I think I was 37, I think. Okay, okay. So, so. the freezing of your embryos was also probably, I would suspect, yeah. related to where you were age-wise and yeah, spacing yeah, your kids. Totally. Okay, got oh, it. exactly. I was like, by the time we wrap our heads around number two, I'm going to be like 45. I was like, we're never doing this again. I don't want to be pregnant again. Please don't make me do it, please. 
And so I was like, by the time like she's five, maybe we'll talk about it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be a lot older. It'll probably be a lot harder to get pregnant, you know? It's really smart to have that foresight. I think we're hearing more and more about women who are making those conscious decisions. I mean, first of all, we're all having, many women are having children later. Even the data says we're having children later. And we Mm -hmm. are having multiples still, but that means our children are coming to bear when we're past that lovely age Mm -hmm. of 35, which, you know, is, is prime time. So you learned you had endometriosis. I felt this sense of relief knowing like, oh my God, that's what it was. Like, that's why I felt horrible. And, and so I, I kind of immediately went on a huge health journey post COVID, you know, right after I froze my embryos, COVID hit. And so we went through COVID Uh came out the other side, thank God. And I went just down the rabbit hole of health. I started to see all sorts of doctors. I started with uh, a new OV and I went and saw um, one of the top endometriosis doctors in the nation. She was fantastic. And she, she actually wrote a book as well, which is pretty decent if you're looking to like learn more about endo and, and natural ways. It's called beating endo. Um, so she was like, listen, you definitely have endometriosis. I want you to go see a urologist, gastro, basically every doctor that would relate to that area of your body just to eliminate other things that it could potentially be. And so I set out and then I, I did uh, physical therapy. I did some like this doctor taught me about hormones and how like the fluctuation of our hormones and gave me a whole degree on uh, hormones and how my body when it's creating too much, you know, the fight or flight hormone, it's suppressing my estrogen and progesterone. So if you look back at the timeline of my flare ups, they're usually really, it's so obvious. It's when I launched my book. It's when I went to New York for market for the new store it's like usually when I'm traveling and I have too much going on and I'm not doing my things like yoga, acupuncture, drinking my mornings, doing my whole routine and keeping my and you know endorphins feeling like equal and low. It's when I just get too like I start to buzz out of control and then I have a flare up. It's usually what causes it. But that's so interesting. Wow, now you understand the why of why you've been feeling this way and you can actually take action and, and own your health mm-hmm. and make those conscious decisions and changes and also mitigate the impact of these things on your day-to-day life. So it is wild when you have a health matter, it becomes all consuming and you have to be your own advocate Mm -hmm. and you have to piece this together because such as our medical system, there's major gaps and disconnects. So understandable. So you froze your embryos, you learned that you had endometriosis, Tell me a little bit about PMDD. So was that exacerbated during your postpartum phase? And how were you able to diagnose that as it related to your your embryo freezing? I had no idea that PMDD even existed until about a month ago. And when, when I was speaking with a doctor who's about to perform an operation on me, which we can talk about in a minute, she, she's the one that called it out because we were going through all of my history. And the history started with, you know, my, my struggles with depression and anxiety that stem from like college range throughout my now adulthood, where I've always like just felt a little bit of that, but not so much that I'm like, I need to be on an antidepressant because I'm depressed. It would just be like moments in time where I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. It would be a few days here and there and then it would go away. I just never even knew that PMDD existed. I never looked at it that way, like as a fluctuation. 
and in my hormones causing that uh, mood shift and that imbalance. I, I just, I don't know how or why I just didn't. And so I noticed it when I froze my eggs, the shots that they have you take when you're doing IVF, I was the best version of myself taking all those shots. I was like, I'm so happy. <laughs> I was like, wow, I feel great. And my doctor at the time was like, well, yeah, cause you have a hormone imbalance. And I'm like, I definitely do. Cause I've never felt better. And I was getting the proper estrogen that I needed. My body doesn't make it. The type of estrogen that my body is creating isn't like mixing well with the rest of my hormones. And the one that they're giving me, that's like a manufactured progesterone and estrogen, my body loved. Wow. And so I was always like, that's so interesting. So after we froze embryos, I was like, can you just give me that for like ever? Because I felt <laughs> yes. great. I was like, <laughs> I felt like an antidepressant. I was like, I'm happy, like without the dull, you know. And so I didn't really pay attention to it again. I was just like, man, that was great. Even Grant was like, wow, you're your best self. When, once I decided to get an IUD, which was about, a, it was a year later, it was June, 2021. I got an IUD put in and I noticed very quickly that my mood stabilized. And at the time I had just started doing yoga full time. So I was like, it's the yoga. Yoga makes me feel so good. Yoga, yoga, yoga. But um, eventually I started bleeding again and my mood started dipping again because my body just got used to like that exact amount of dosage of medication and so then I started taking more birth control and then more. <laughs> so now I'm on a lot. And when I yeah. talked to I talked to the surgeon a couple weeks ago, we were just talking about my shifts in mood, my type of depression, what I experience, what that looks like and how it presents itself for me and how I was scared. I, I still am scared to go off birth control because anytime I have stopped taking it, I slip into that form of depression as I'm, I'm calling it depression is what it looks like for me. It's probably not the same for everyone, right? It's not, but I would find myself like trying to wean off of the pills, taking as much medication as I'm taking now. And I told her, I was like, listen, if we do the surgery, that means no more birth control. And I'm scared because I feel like I'm mentally stable on birth control. And she's like, you are because you have PMDD. I'm like, what is PMDD? It just blew my mind. But now that we're aware of it, we, we can, you know, treat it in other ways now that I know what it is. I mean, clearly I've been going through like the ringers with the doctors and around in circles and around in circles. I've also tried, I'm like, maybe, maybe I won't, like, maybe I can, maybe I won't be <laughs> bleeding if I stop taking all this medication. I'm taking so much and it just, like I said before, if I don't take it right at the same time, it's, it's just like a debilitating pain. And then obviously the, the physical, like the bleeding and whatnot. I recently tried to go down um, off of both pills I take. I stopped taking my nighttime one first, and a few days went by, and I was like, oh, my God, like, nothing's happened. I feel good. And then I stopped taking my morning one. A few days go by, and I was like, oh, God, like, oh, oh okay, no. yes, I definitely need it. I just, like, forgot how bad it was because it's been a minute since I've had one of these, like, flare-up moments. I was like, I had to just prove myself one more time, like one last time. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> surgery. But, yeah. You know, I'm not planning to carry any more children. I check all the boxes as a candidate. We're hoping that it will, I mean, it will definitely alleviate the physical uh, pain and whatnot that I'm feeling and experiencing it. So in terms of the mental element that, that will come to follow shortly after. And 
I think it's just going to be, you know, we'll just kind of cross that bridge when we get there. But my doctors aren't opposed to putting me on like a low dose of that specific estrogen. So after the surgery, you'll continue on some type of hormonal protocol program or what does that mean for you after? I'm hoping live. (laughs) My goal, my goal is I turned 40 in April of 23 and my goal is to be literally off all medication other than, you know, okay. vitamins and we'll supplements and whatnot, which I don't even really take. I take these well, that's it. Yeah. Um, that's the goal. We'll, we'll get you I know. There. I need parallel in my life. I really do. That's why I did this podcast. There you go. But I definitely am going to need something afterwards. But yeah, right off the bat, um, mm-hmm. my okay. doctors, we're, we're just going to cut cold turkey, you know? I'm going to be recovering anyway. So they're like, your body's going to be in so much shock. And then my surgeon was like, they, you usually have like a honeymoon phase after a surgery like this where you're going to feel so much better wow. that you might even rebound mentally as well where something shifted along the way. You just never know. So we're hoping that I can be okay, you that know, was my hormone replacement free. <laughs> I will not be going through menopause. You only go through menopause when they take out your ovaries. So that was a huge relief for me. That, that was honestly the day where I was like, okay, let's do it. It's an outpatient laparoscopic through my belly button of all places. Um, and they're removing my cervix, uterus, and fallopian tubes. So really the only thing left is my ovaries and my estrogen. So fingers crossed, I'll just kind of come out the other side feeling better than I have in a very long time. And it's hard to talk about it. Like on social media and stuff, I don't want to be like, hey, guys, I'm still bleeding. <laughs> it's like it's gross and embarrassing. And you just, yeah, it's such a huge piece of your life. I'm so excited for you in this weird way that you're going to have this reprieve. Thank Um, you. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited too. That's why I knew it sounded probably kind of weird at the beginning when I'm like, I can't wait. I'm getting the surgery done because it's going to be a game changer, you know? My God, how this whole journey through motherhood has brought so many things to the surface for you that were actually truly so important for you to unlock and give you your best life. And, you know, thinking through your journey, my goodness, Mm -hmm. you have been just hit over the head sideways with everything, but incredible that there is this this light at the end of the tunnel and and (sighs) this relief. I want to take a step back to your second sweet baby boy, Hugh. I know he's still new on the block. So he's three months now. Yes. So I think what's really interesting here though, is you had obviously decided to freeze your embryos pre, you know, proactively, but I understand you ended Mm -hmm. up having to use those. So let's talk a little bit about why and how you got there. Yeah, we did. Um, how we got there was the multitude of doctor's appointments that I had spoken about earlier and my endometriosis diagnosis and the PMDD diagnosis as well. Because let's, let's not forget that I did suffer from postpartum depression and my pregnancy was hard not only physically but also mentally. And so my doctors told me it's probably not a good idea for you to go through that again on both ends of the spectrum. And so Grant and I started to have the conversation when June turned two. It's always when the babies turn two. They just like start to like become little humans that are cute and funny and joke and talk. And, uh, oh man. And June is just such a little cutie that she sold us on another one. (laughs) It's like, okay. So we started the conversations and I have to be honest in the beginning, I think wrapping my head around using a surrogate in the beginning was more challenging than I had expected emotionally. And 
I went through a lot of this in yoga where I, I had to come to terms with the fact that my body wouldn't function in the way that I wanted it to and that it wouldn't do what it was built to do. Like it, it was like this, this moment of um, mourning that I kind of had to go through and, and that was kind of sad and it, it was hard for a little while. And, you know, it still is even getting the hysterectomy. Like if I start to really sit with it and think of it, like, wow, I'm, I'm getting rid of a huge part of like my womanhood. I can go down that lane if I, if I allow myself to, but I try, I really try not to and try to keep my mind straight. But once we came to terms with, yes, we want a second child. Then we came to terms with, yes, we're doing this via surrogate. Um, The rest was Honestly, Good. pretty easy. A lot easier <laughs> than my pregnancy. I'll tell you that much. A lot easier. So we were so so. I mean, is I think I've always said this, and I don't. I hope it doesn't come out wrong, but I feel like everyone gets dealt bad cards, good cards, bad cards, cards in between gray areas. We had been dealt harder cards with my pregnancy, my recovery, my endo, and now you know this hysterectomy, I mean, all this stuff for me that we got dealt oh, a supremely. Good. Good. beautiful queen of hearts that carried our child. Like she is the most amazing woman. She was so just perfect. And she wow. lives like five minutes from us, which is also so random. There's lots of really high highs and there's lots of low lows and it's all relative. How did you find your surrogate? Is there like a network? Mm-hmm. How do people find one? Yeah. So my brother actually had a baby via a surrogate and he had his son Finn the year before we had June. And so they went through a very popular agency, Beverly Hills, that has like the Rolodex of surrogates and they didn't really love their experience. So then I reached out to a girlfriend of mine who had had two of her babies via surrogacy. No. And oh she gosh. ended up getting pregnant while her surrogate was pregnant, oh which is gosh. a whole other story. I can't so imagine. Two oh, no. under one, oh, if you can imagine. They're like, oops. So we ended up going through her agency that she recommended. Um, it's called SBS. I'm more than happy to share it. Surrogate Parenting Services. They were great. They're a very boutique agency. They kind of work one couple at a time and tailor the experience to your needs. And, and they did a one. That was the first person that they matched us with. We were nervous because we were like, this is like happening. This is too easy. <laughs> you know, we we're like, where's the red flag? Like, there's got to be some challenges here. But we just let, you know, rolled the dice and kept rolling it and rolling it. What then- does that interview process look like? I'm, I'm thinking about my crazy type A self. I'd be like, what do you eat? What do you do? Like, where do you, I, I mean, yeah. just like, what are you allowed to add? Like, how do you, first of all, how do you interview? interview a surrogate? Yeah. Like how do you determine whether or not they're the right fit for you? Well, we Googled what to ask your surrogate. <laughs> that's, where I, yeah. that's where I started. And what not to ask your surrogate. Um, and we told them that, you know, it's just, I think keeping it super open and hey, this is like really awkward. And they're like, yeah, we feel awkward too. And just keeping those lines of honesty open was really helpful in the beginning. But our first meeting for us for us, so like what connected us to them was their sense of humor. Like Grant is super dry and he would make like inappropriate jokes when we were doing the transfer and like they would laugh. But yeah, the California law is super, it protects obviously all parties involved. But I learned so much about like surrogacy law and like, what can you ask and what can you, or like, what can you request? Wow. You could literally drop your con. It's a contract. I mean, essentially you're working together. It's like a collaboration and you both parties have to agree to the contract that's being drawn up. And I've had people say, you know, I don't want my surrogate eating eggs or I want her only eating organic or I don't want her, whatever it is, traveling outside of the state during the entire pregnancy. (laughs) I was like, listen, 
I had Popeye's my entire pregnancy, so <laughs> no that. shame in the fried chicken. You eat whatever you want. I was like, just please keep my baby healthy, and and we're good. <laughs> like I, I was surprisingly uh, the least controlling about that as I've been with anything in my entire life. I don't know what it was. I just, I think I was just so like in awe by the entire experience. There was only like one moment where I felt a little, like I was feeling a little triggered when our surrogate got sick halfway, about halfway through. She just got a head cold and she took herself to urgent care because like me, and she's very type A and wants to make sure she wants to do a good job. That's all she cared about. I was like, I want to do a good job. And that moment I started to feel a little rise where I was like, what do you mean you're sick? And I'm like, wait a second. Oh my God, she's sick. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. But then seeing how worked up she was getting over it, I was like, yeah. she's got me. Like she's, she's going to take care of this baby, you know? And it just felt yeah. so. Oh. And so what was the relationship like throughout the pregnancy? Like, were you guys seeing her regularly? Like, tell me a little bit about that dynamic. We saw her quite a bit. We went to all, not all the appointments because some we couldn't because of the COVID rules and whatnot, but we went to as many as we possibly could. And then towards the end, you know, there were more and more. And then obviously we we're on the room together and it was the most beautiful moment ever. It was so cool. I was so out of my mind when I had June. I was very doped up and it was blurry and I have moments where I can't really remember. And this was entire opposite. It was very clear. And he was born and she held him for a little while. And I just remember sitting there watching her hold him. And I wanted the moment to last forever. She was like, here, take him. And I was like, I really just like, you hold him as long as you want because you just birthed him. And I just want that for you because I knew the moment she handed him over, it was going to like change the whole everything, our whole world. Oh my God. It was so, I mean, we were all feeling so overwhelmed. You know, I wasn't pregnant. So to have him in our arms after everything that we'd experienced. It just felt complete. Our family, just the minute he was in our lives, it felt complete, for lack of a better word. And Grant went home to June, and I stayed in the hospital with him that night, and we had a little slumber party. And then I remember driving him home the next day. I drove him home by myself. What a different experience, you know, than the first. <laughs> I know. What, and I what just an remember amazing being like, experience. hell yeah. Yeah. Like, we did this, you know? Like, I, I'm a mom. I yeah. I mean, you're not messing around with two in the back. I just remember being like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I was pumped. We chatted a little bit about this beforehand, but everyone's path to building a family looks so freaking different. And it's important for us to hear these stories and normalize this because there's no straight and narrow normal way. There's just no normal way. We all go our own twisting, winding paths. And it's yeah. so beautiful how you felt that you built this family and you felt that that completeness. Your surrogate, she stayed at the hospital. She's recovering. Like, Did she get to see the baby now? Like, What does that look like? She did not stay at the hospital. No. Homegirl walked out four hours later and went home and stayed in her own bed because she's a rock star. We were like clapping as she left the hospital. She gave birth to Hugh and literally walked out. She's ha she had three babies of her own and she she knew what she was doing and she had her head on straight. She was in it to win it. <laughs> she did. We still keep in touch. She we talk we text back and forth about once a week. I'll send her pictures and she wants to come over and see him soon. And you know, I'm not one to like over 
analyze or plan on that end. I have no idea what the future holds. We, I just like to go where the energy brings me. If she, if she crosses my mind, I text her. Just like if my grandmother crosses my mind, I call her. You know what I mean? How did you explain this whole experience and process to June? And how 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 did June welcome little Hugh to the family? How was she? I started out by, I printed out a picture of me pregnant and hung it in her bathroom. And she's like, that's me in mommy's tummy. And I'm like, yep. And she kind of started to ask more questions around that. And she's like, I'm in mommy's tummy. And then we looked at pictures of baby June and then her birth and all that. And then I started to show her pictures of our surrogate. And I'm like, your baby brother's yeah. in there. And she's not quite at the age where she's like, wait, I don't get it. My my best friend brought her eight-year-old over to the house not too long ago. And she was asked, she was very confused by it. She was like, wait, I don't get it. So it's not your baby, you know, asking like, wait, but then it's hers, like all the questions, which I'm certain that June will have once she gets a little older. But as for now, we're just keep it, if, she, if it's brought up, which she rarely brings it up now, but it just, you know, it's like, she's still so young. She doesn't really fully grasp the concept, but I was very open. Like, this is our like angel who's carrying her baby brother. And she's like, no, baby oh, sister. I'm like, nope, it's a boy. It's a brother. Like, I want a baby yeah, sister. Yeah. But she, I've never seen her so excited to meet her baby brother. It's again on my Instagram. Cause I have to share everything. Cause I'm like, I was so like, it was like my heart was exploding that day. So you have two beautiful babes. You're kind of coming out of that three month newborn haze, if you will. How are you feeling? Like, do you, did you ever feel a shift in your sense of self after June or now that you're a mom of two? Yeah, I think with June, it was, you know, a shift in identity of like, whenever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, whatever I want. That was a big shift. And then we got the kind of the hang of one. And I was feeling pretty good and confident in my ability to, to multitask and do it all. And I was like, we yeah. can still travel. We can still do this. We actually could still pretty much do everything and take June. Like, we got this. It hasn't been until rather recently where I'm like, oh, <laughs> we can't, we can't just like pick up and go there. And that has been a little rough lately. We're like parents. We're like mom and dad. I think before we wrap up, I'd love to ask you one final question. Is there anything surprising that you learned about yourself throughout this journey? Oh man. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing that was surprising and that needed to be learned is that I I just really have to let go <laughs> of things. And when I do that, all of my biggest fears don't come true. It actually is quite the opposite. And so the more I learn to let go, the more beautiful things and answers and peace actually come into my life. And that was a very challenging lesson for me to learn. Not I it. like to hold on for <laughs> dear life to the rain, yeah. the reins of control. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that was it is just to learn to let go and breathe and release that control. There's so many lessons to be learned here. And I just am so grateful that you were able to share all of this so candidly and honestly with everyone. Thank you. Well, thank you for giving me this space. I haven't really had the opportunity to openly talk about all of this. In sharing all of our stories, we can just feel mm-hmm. a little less alone than I think we've done something good here. <laughs> amen to that. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah. Amen to that. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. 
Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor, and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder, Tori, and Dr. Bayati, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN-founded women's vitamin, offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey, from preconception through each individual trimester, because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them, and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take the mom multi-pack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old, but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code podcast 20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.